welcome to Drive Digital Success, your behind-the-scenes podcast about Formula One and the technology driving it. Presented by Chris Medland and Mandy Carter. Powered by IONOS, first-class cloud and IT infrastructure. Hi, I'm Gary Gannon. I'm the race engineer for Mick Schumacher for Haas F1 team. And I'll be explaining an F1 steering wheel. Most people think of a steering wheel in their road car as something that just turns the wheels. But I guess with a Formula One car, it's a little bit more than that. It's more than for steering the car. The main function there is for steering. And then, of course, we have uh, shifting, upshift and downshift paddles. We have the clutch paddle, which is important for getting the car out of the garage and also for starting the car at the race, at the race start. But beyond that, we have a variety of switches which allow us to manage the balance of the car and look after the reliability of the car. And we have, of course, a big dash display, which gives the driver lots and lots of information and allows him to understand uh, how he's using the car and what kind of issues we're having with the car because he gets warnings and alarms on this dash display. Yeah, what sort of stuff gets told to them then first on the dash display what sort of thing would they be maybe reading or seeing the inputs that are important to him are like uh, what mode he is in is he in a mode which is for doing running laps or doing back off laps or like a race start mode so it's important for him to see what mode he's in and also which special switches he has on or off he's got a lot of lights for that He's got shift lights that indicate to him when he should be upshifting. And he also has a tone in his ears to help him understand when to upshift because ears is an underutilized resource. So sometimes they don't follow the shift lights, but they actually shift on the tones. He has obviously things like gear, car speed, etc. But those are less important to them because it's all very fluid. So it doesn't need to know that information as clearly. And then any alarms that we have, like the oil is hot or some other information that would require him to take action. But generally, like when they get an alarm on the dash, they come on straight to us and ask us if we have to do anything about it. There are some alarms that come up and say, like, stop the car now because we need to protect the uh, PU. But uh, otherwise, most of the alarms come up and then he asks us if it's OK. And we say, yeah, carry on or no, we need to slow and come box. So. That's the kind of information he's getting from the display on the dash. And you say, we'll come on to you guys. So I'm assuming there's a radio button that's one of the Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a radio button which has a a light in it so the driver knows when it's latched because he, he just pushes it once and talks to us and pushes it again to turn it off. Sometimes drivers forget and leave the radio button on through a whole lap and you hear all the different noises they make that they didn't really want you to hear. Yeah, so he puts the radio button on, talks to us, and then switches off. And then I can talk to him anytime. Generally, you try and talk to them on the straights. Unless it's like an urgent message, then you'll talk to them anytime. But it can be really disruptive. So it's a back and forth about you know, what's going on with the car and what we need to do. Before we get into too much detail about each individual switch and function, do you know how many switches and functions there are on steering wheel? We have like six thumb wheel rotaries and then six rotaries on the face of it. We have these two toggle switches and there's, I don't know, there's like uh, 12 buttons roughly on the wheel. There's a lot of stuff for you to learn and for the driver to learn. Yes, yeah. And the driver doesn't have to know it all. The basic ones are obvious to them, like things like neutral or the pit lane speed limiter or the radio, the shift paddles, obviously. There's a lot of other switches that they, at the beginning, they don't know at all and they don't need to know. They just need to know roughly where they are and we give them clear direction about how to manage them. And there's some that um, they'll never understand because they just don't need to and it's not part of their normal operation and they just need to know how to follow my command to achieve whatever switch change we need. But like the more and more they drive the car, especially with these young drivers, some of these tools become intuitive. And so they become very opinionated about where we have the different switches and how they operate. Like we have the switches we want to use for very quick changes are on thumb wheels. So the driver can 
quickly flick it with his thumb whilst he's driving. And between drivers, they may want a different thumb wheel in a different position because they think this is more important to them or I can more easily reach it or this one I can't do when I'm doing the clutch paddle, etc. So there's some variability of how we use the different switches and where we position them. And it kind of depends on the drivers. Two drivers we have now, we try and keep it very similar because they're both sort of new to the sport and we don't want to specialize too much because we just want them to learn and keep things consistent. But in the past, we had different arrangements between um, our two drivers. So what are the main functions that the drivers are using? Does it change during sessions and things like that? A bit. Like there's the big functions we already said, the shift paddles and the clutch paddle to get out of the garage. There's the neutral button every time they come like uh, stop the car. There's the pit lane speed limiter that they turn on to leave the garage and turn off. Then um, on track, the main tools that they use frequently are related to the balance and the braking systems. So in a short run, we might try and set up a perfectly optimized arrangement of balance and braking systems that we do corner by corner. And so we have toggles on the top of the wheel that we configure with exactly what we need for particular corners. So for example, in Interlagos, we used the right toggle for turn six, seven to stabilize the car, and then the left toggle for turn eight, nine, and 10 to avoid front locking. So we had different combinations of map and system settings on those toggles for a very quick change so the driver can be exactly optimized through one quality lap. Whereas in the race, the balance requirements change through the entire stint as the tire and kind of evolves and the temperatures change and everything. So in a race, the requirement is very different and that the driver might be using the diff switch and adjusting it three or four times in a stint or the EB engine braking switch could be adjusted multiple times. On top of that, he may still be using the toggles, which are designed designed for certain corners to um, manage the balance. But through a stint, we're, we're using these thumb wheels and going back and forth on them. And even within the same stint, we may have to move the balance rearward and then bring it back forward again as the tire evolves. And is that something that you would discuss with the driver or is that for them to do? It's a bit of both. Like there are things that we can see in data that the driver can't really feel. For example, we can see rear locking, which really just means a little bit rear under rotation. It means the brake balance is too rearward and we're kind of harming the rear tires on every brake event. The driver can't necessarily feel it, but we can see it happening in data. So in that situation, we would encourage the driver to move the brake balance forward, which he does with the button clicks, so that we're doing more braking on the front axle than the rear axle. Or we might play with what we call the brake shape, which is how the brake balance moves with brake pressure as you go through a braking event. Where like a driver can tell if he has front locking easily because he can see this smoke coming off the uh, inside front. But the rear locking is something that we have to help him with. The other tools, though, as the drivers become more experienced, they start taking over how they manage the tools. But sometimes they will do something that is good for the balance in the short term, but we know it might harm the tire. So we say, no, we can't do that. Please come back uh, on that engine braking change you made. And do you see it like in a specific place or is it just in general data that you've find out when a driver makes a change like is there a separate program i guess that shows you what the steering wheel's doing we can see all the inputs from the steering wheel live but actually we can also see his dash display and sort of effectively see a virtual steering wheel but yeah as he's running i know immediately that he's changed brake balance or he's changed engine braking and then i'm not always watching it completely because i'm uh, watching the race view but like the controls engineer mike is on top of it and he'll tell me like mick just went to diff 32 And then we know, okay, because he's closed up the diff, he must be going towards oversteer. And so now let's look at some other parameters and see if anything else that helps us indicate the direction the balance is going. And if he made the right change or if we should suggest a different change to him. Do you quite often respond then to what you see the driver has done? 
maybe on the radio or something to yes. discuss issues. Yes. So like I will say, if we saw the balance already going a direction and mix making the right changes, I would say like, I see the balance changes you made. That's the right direction. Or we might suggest an even further step because the thing the driver may, isn't always sure about is um, how much can I adjust this before it's too much and going to cause some other problems. So we might encourage him to take another step of brake balance forward or closing up the diff or less brake shape, things like that. Or we might say, uh, nope, that's the wrong uh, change for your problem because we saw a gust of wind in turn eight. So it's actually wind that caused the problem. And if you you know, close up this thing, then you're going to cause other trouble. So um, it is a back and forth. But the, the other times it's like we see the balance decaying and the driver, sometimes they have uh, bandwidth to think about how they could evolve the balance. And other times they don't because they're uh, busy with other uh, car things. So then we have to encourage him to make a change. And certainly at the beginning of the year, we were directing all of the changes. Now at this point in the year, both drivers are making changes on their own in the correct direction, using the correct tools for the most part. And you mentioned that there's some stuff that the drivers don't need to know, but that you use, or you need them to know how to function to, to respond yes. to what you do. What sort of functions uh, are there? Yeah, a big part of that is we have what we call driver defaults, which is like primarily failing sensors. So if there's an engine sensor, which is intermittently working and thus is causing a control system to behave intermittently, we may want to fail that sensor and turn it off. So we have a way for the driver to turn a rotary to a driver default section. And then we might say like driver default alpha 32 OK. So he would turn the rotary to DDA and then he would use the number buttons that we have. He would press the 10 button three times, one, two, three to get to 30. And then he would press the one button two times to get to two. And then he would press OK and that would turn off number 32, which might be this failing sensor. We had to do one of these on uh, the first lap in Interlagos, which was really, you know, sort of a mental challenge for a driver because he's like racing everyone. But like when we say urgent, he has to do it now because we, you know, like the PU's um, health is at risk. So Mick did it, you know, and it was good that he got it done. And because sometimes you call it out, they make a mistake and you have to correct it three or four times and it takes three laps to get the fault fixed. He got it done, but it's always a, you know, there's some cost, you know, because he's using some of his mental capacity to adjust these switches while he's also racing people on the first lap of the race. So it's pretty wild. It makes it sound as well, like a a bit of a life support machine uh, in terms of this is where you control so much of what the car does like yes. how important is it to a driver to be able to get the car a doing what they want but b like to keep it running for the most part modern formula one cars are very reliable uh, the pu manufacturers have come a very very long way in uh, evolving everything to be very robust but this is like the final layer of defense to, for electrical problems is this ability to fail sensors in the car or do kind of minor PU tuning based on the ambient conditions because like the air is hotter than they planned. So we have to adjust things. But it's, I would say the the buttons on the wheel are 75% used for the performance and balance of the car and 25% is managing the health of the car. In a normal race, we would have between zero and one of these kind of requests to fix something. But if we have like a chafe in a loom, which is causing some kind of short, we may have to fail loads and loads of sensors. Like that happened to us in Monaco. We had a lot of issues and we spent a lot of time, many laps, um, turning things on and off and trying to like solve a problem while still racing. Yeah, it sounds like a a huge test for a driver to be able to to Mm. do both things. Do you have specific days then that you sort of train with them to get up to speed? Like, do you just send them home with a steering wheel and say, learn this? <laughs> not really. I mean, in the past when we had some simulator resource, that was a good time to do it, but not really. Like with Mick, we spent lots of time in January and February going through 
I mean, everything about the car and the operation of a weekend, but also the steering wheel in particular. And we tried to very clearly define the language of how we interact with all these switches so that I'm always asking for the same thing in the same way. If I say uh, driver default alpha, then he knows that's talking about defaults. Whereas if I say multifunction A instead of alpha, then it's uh, clear to him it's this left uh, rotary to deal with. So by being very strict with the language and very clear with the communication, and then once they get some experience with it, it becomes a lot easier for them. But certainly at the beginning, it's daunting how many uh, things we can play with and fix and adjust for the drivers. You mentioned how the drivers sometimes want things moved or in better positions or different positions for them. So this is a part that is developed by the team and put together by the team, or is it kind of adapted off the shelf type thing? Like, How does the steering wheel become this complicated? The steering wheel dash display comes from McLaren, and that's pretty standard for everyone. And then the underlying software and how we deal with all the systems of the car, like the diff and stuff, those are also standardized. So the number of things that we can actually adjust is very common across teams. The name for this particular switch may be slightly different, but so all teams have sort of the same inputs. There's some variation in how you deal with it, whether it's like a thumb wheel or a toggle or a switch to get between the different um, modes. So that's evolved a bit. Our wheel is sort of a customer steering wheel, so it's a little bit standardized. But again, we have all the same adjustability as any other team. And then within the parts that we have, we can make small adjustments in which driver has the thumb wheel where he has it based on his preference. Is there anything strange on there that you always point out to someone that you're like, it's so weird that a driver can do this or do that from the steering wheel? I mean, well, yeah, they can have a drink. (laughs) It just runs a little electric pump, which pumps usually very hot, unappealing drink into his mouth in the race. So we have to like encourage the drivers to actually use it because it's better for them for their kind of endurance to have the fluid, but they don't want it. So we have to like kind of prod them to drink it. And it's just funny if you're allowed to say... Uh, it might need to be a ballpark, but how much does a steering wheel cost? Because it sounds so complex. I mean, I think they're on the order of like fifty thousand pounds or eighty thousand dollars. You know, the display itself has like you know computer in it, um, which has its own sort of code to be able to make all these dash displays. But the the main thing you're paying for is the robustness of it because it's uh, very heavily tested, and you know we cannot afford any lack of reliability in any of these buttons or anything. So the components are very high quality and tested to a very high standard. And that's the cost of it. And, you know, it's vibration tolerance and everything is very, very uh, high. So that's why they're so expensive. And that's why it's not good when we see them get uh, tossed or mishandled. <laughs> yeah, how annoyed are you when you see a driver get out of a car and throw it on the floor? Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but um, it's definitely upsetting to everyone. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Thank you. for listening see you at our next pit stop in two weeks drive digital success brought to you by ionos first class cloud and it infrastructure production by digital compact presenters are mandy carter and chris medland music and sound design by raffamusic.com if you've liked this podcast recommend it to your friends and give us five stars at your favorite podcast provider 